Welcome to the Headache 360 Podcast, a place to listen and learn about the diagnosis and treatment of chronic headache and migraine pain, because information can be the best medicine. Hi, and welcome back to the Headache 360 Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Adam Lowenstein, and um, I've got an amazing um guest today. Uh, as you know, as I, I think many of you know, I'm a uh, migraine surgeon. I do uh, peripheral nerve decompression for migraines. And um, a lot of my patients have spent time in emergency rooms. And so I thought it would be great to have an emergency room physician uh, here as a guest. But uh, we've hit the kind of jackpot because Dr. Prostowski who I have here, Dr. Jason Prostowski, is um, the consummate uh, physician. He is, uh, well, he's from the Bay Area, and he went to the University of California, Santa Barbara, undergrad, um, did his med school and master's of public health health at uh, Northwestern, and then did an emergency room uh, residency at uh, Emory, uh, and at Grady Hospital. I don't know if any of you know Grady Hospital, but it's uh, as close to a war zone as I've ever been in. Um, and he is a uh, clinical emergency room physician at uh, Cottage Hospital, all three co- campuses. Um, he's the medical director of the city fire department. And actually, as such, he's got one eye on his uh, phone for some things going on in the fire Um the fire department, so we may have to do a little pause here. Uh, please, please pardon us if that's the case. Um, he's the director of um, Doctors Without Walls. Um, he's uh, co-chair of the Cottage Ethics Committee. He's uh, this guy does it all, and um, so uh, welcome, Dr. Prostowski. Thanks. I I I, I, I want to call you Dr. Lowenstein, but I I know you as Adam because like when our kids when we have our kids at Trader Joe's together shopping for milk and yogurt, I, I say, Hey, Adam. Hey, Jason. So it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a small community here, but uh, very fortunately we have some of the finest doctors that we could hope for. And actually, uh, one of the ways, uh, one of the stories that uh, I tell about uh, Jason, and I think Jason tells about me is uh, the most intriguing uh, plastic surgery consult I, I ever got. And as many of you know, that I'm a, a, originally a plastic surgeon, did a lot of reconstruction because we're the people who do the microvascular um, uh, surgery on nerves. Uh, but Jason once, I guess, did you text me or email me from email Sudan? You, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Jason's done a lot of work overseas. You tell me, tell that story real quick. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, in 2008, I was in the civil war in South Sudan with uh, Doctors Without Borders. And uh, we had a lot of interesting medicine. And we actually had a couple of interesting cases where I was in, in the position to do some very uh, sort of uh, basic reconstructive surgery. And I needed a bit of guidance and fortunately, uh, in today's day and age, we were an email away, and I could send you a, a couple of photographs, and you gave me some good good tips. Yeah, but man, AK-47 uh, and bayonet wounds, uh, certainly, um, it, 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 let's just say Dr. Prostowski has done some of the most impressive work of any physician that I know, and I... I know a lot of doctors. AK, AK-47s are no bueno. Uh, yes, in general, this is, this is true. So, um, all right, well, let's, let's move towards um, what 
I think a lot of our um, a lot of our listeners are interested in hearing as far as uh, what happens in the emergency room from from a, a migrainer standpoint. You know, you're going to the emergency room when uh, you have nowhere else to to turn, and so I think when you're seeing stuff from a patient's perspective. Uh, it can be very different than what the perspective is from from the caregivers there. So can, you know, I guess, what are you thinking when somebody comes to the emergency room with a migraine and kind of what is your initial workup and why and things like that? No, you know, and, and, and that's, a, that's a great question. And one of the most common um, complaints that brings people to the emergency department are, are headaches. And when someone comes, they, they check in, they're triaged uh, with a headache, then our wheels immediately start start turning. And, um, you know, and, and it's interesting. I always like to, with, with my patients in the emergency department, I always like to get right out in front of what are the, what are the goals and, and expectations of the visit. Uh, in the emergency department, here in Santa Barbara and, and throughout the United States, um, I believe that the the emergency care in the United States is some of the some of the best in the world, and we have really well trained physicians and nurses that are there to to see people and help people um, and resuscitate. And when someone comes into the headache, um, we're thinking about two things. Uh, the first thing we're thinking about is what is causing this headache, and is it something potentially bad and life threatening? Um, and then the second question is, is how can we get this person feeling more comfortable? And a lot of times we, we treat as we diagnose. That's a, a philosophy of, of emergency medicine. So when someone who, who has migraine headaches comes in, um, there's a lot of useful information that, that they can give us right out of the gate. And when someone checks in, and if they're, you know, I work nights in the emergency department. So if you come into my shop at 2 o'clock in the morning, I already have some presumptions, but it's helpful for you as the listener to come in and say, you know what? I have a history of migraine headaches. Um, I get them every three months, every month, and these are the abortive remedies that I've already tried. And we know that if you're in the emergency department, whatever it is you've tried at home has already has already failed. Um, and, and and we're gonna get you back as quick as we can and start to get you feeling better as quick as you can. And friends of mine that have migraine headaches, I. I always kind of, I, I, my heart goes out to them because when someone has a migraine headache, and I'm, I'm assuming that the listeners to your program already know a lot about the symptoms, probably more about the symptoms and what it's like to have migraine headaches than, than I do, um, people are very sensitive to sound, they're sensitive to light, and when I think about one of the worst possible places to be if I had a migraine headache would be in a really busy, noisy emergency department where there's crying babies and maybe there's drunk people, people, there's and... drunk people yelling and maybe there's, you know, someone gets brought into a room and they immediately have to be taken out of that room because someone else who's really sick needs that room more. And it's like when you think about you know the the non-medical interventions for migraine headaches just being in a in a quiet calm environment where you can 
just mindfully start to work on your symptoms, the emergency department is the opposite of that. So when we when we started, um, you know, years ago, when we started doing uh, seeing patients, seeing migraine patients here, I changed the lighting in the rooms so we have you know either normal bright lights or we have half half on lights for for that kind of thing and. Um, you know, it's it, we do try to make this serene environment. I have been, unfortunately, in the ER with my both of my kids at night with croup, and um, in each instance there was a uh, like a, a, a car accident rollover, mm-hmm. and clearly, yeah. Those, I mean, my my kid. I, it sounds like he's mm-hmm. dying, but I know that he's not. It's just you know, it's, it's air hunger. But you know, there's a guy who comes in and he's bleeding all over the place, and clearly, yeah, he needs the room more than more than we do. So we get you know moved out um, because they put us in the trauma room. And I, yeah, if you have a really really bad migraine and you can feel like you're dying, yep. right? And triage is one of the hardest things that you guys. That you guys do, and I think that from from a migraine standpoint, that person may say, you know, there's they think that that person's sicker than me, but that person's not sicker than me. I just look normal because you can't see the wounds that I have, you know, in in, in representing the pain the pain that I have. You know, and, it's, and it's I think it's whole... important to note the whole the whole triage process is designed. So, and, you know, again, I, you know, I do, I'm building a humanities program so I can talk about the history of triage from the Napoleonic Wars, but I'm not going to bore you with those, (laughs) with those stories. But the whole triage process is designed so that the people who need the help the most and the fastest get it. And, um, the people that, that have a bit of the luxury of time, um, are not as, as, as close to the front of the queue. And it's a system that works. It, it's frustrating because when people are in pain, and believe me, I speak on behalf of all of our doctors and nurses, when someone's coming in and they're suffering, they're in pain, we want to get them pain-free as fast as possible. Uh, but sometimes there's someone who a life and limb requires the services first. And I always tell my patients, you know, I am so sorry you had to wait. In a perfect world, you wouldn't have to. If you're ever in a situation where you show up to the emergency department, and you are immediately greeted by four physicians and six nurses, and that that's a bad sign. <laughs> that's, <laughs> right. There's yeah. something really, really wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's tough <laughs> because you know, and I think it's important also when when someone has a migraine headache, um, they're in a lot of pain. They're very sensitive to sound. They're very sensitive to light. And the emergency department is built to resuscitate people. It's not a calm, serene spa environment. Mm. That's not, you know, we will we'll do our best. We'll turn the lights off. We'll close the door. But there are some things that are that are going to be out of our control. And, and then the next the next question is, is when someone comes in with a headache, you know, I, one of my a good a good friend of mine is a is a is an internist, and I, and we always laugh and joke. I say that in internal medicine they play to win, and for us in emergency medicine we play not to lose. Yeah, right, when, sure. when someone comes in with a headache. You know, the back, I'm thinking about all the worst case scenarios Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking, okay, you know, this patient has a history of migraine headaches, but I need to make sure that this is not one of these other horrible diagnoses. Aneurysm or something. Is it a bleeding aneurysm? Is it, is it meningitis or encephalitis? Is this carbon monoxide toxicity, right? I mean, there's all of these potentially really dangerous diagnoses that 
a lot of times patients with migraines, I'll ask them a lot of questions and they, I can see their frustration. Like, I, I'm having a migraine. I just need the treatment. I'm like, I, I understand, but I, I want to make sure that this is not something more dangerous. This yeah, is not a, a brain tumor. A mistake can be fatal. And so that's, that's the correct. And I know it's uncomfortable and I know it hurts to talk and I know it hurts to open your eyes, but I still need to take a look at your pupils and I know it's going to be uncomfortable and I apologize. It's going to be uncomfortable, but that gives me some, some data that helps me, um, to determine whether or not this is life threatening or not. And it's a process that, that we have to go through because at the end of the day, our goal is to make sure that everyone that comes through our emergency department gets an accurate diagnosis and if there is something life-threatening then we we address it and and we get them the care that they need yeah. uh, and I and when when you know someone has a migraine headache where the goal when that person comes through the door their goal is to get their symptoms under control right you know if you come to the ER with a migraine headache you, you you tell me you know I have migraine headaches this is the name of my neurologist you know I already tried um, Excedrin migraine. I already tried Imitrex. I already tried taking a, a bath and and meditating, and it's it's now bad. Uh, I need help. Um, you know, your goal is for those symptoms to become relieved, and my goal is I want your symptoms to be relieved, but I also want to make sure that it's not something life threatening, which right. is oftentimes a big miscommunication and can sometimes cause an adversary relationship. Which I I was thinking, you know, if anything, the listeners your listeners can take away from is that we in the emergency department, you know, we, we're not asking you these questions because we want to annoy you. We, we want to make sure there's not something life threatening yeah, so yeah, we can yeah. move on to getting you feel better. Right. And I think that, you know, people uh, classically, we, I hear a lot uh, and I see a lot on, on Facebook and whatnot about people feeling that the uh, people in the emergency room was just not interested in helping. And, uh, you know uh, that's uh, that can't be farther from mm-hmm. from the truth. It's it's uh, you know and frankly okay there, I'm sure that there are some bad ER docs and there are some ba- you know so I couldn't say that's always farthest from the truth but in my experience it's the same. But the understanding from a patient standpoint and a doctor standpoint in general, you just go to the doctor. The experience that the doctor is having when they're seeing the patient is different than the doc mm-hmm. the patient is having when they're seeing the doctor. Yeah, yeah. Nowhere, I think, is that more so than the emergency room. And that mutual understanding is, um, you know, what is it? Patients are from Mars and, and doctors are from Venus or whatever. The, oh, the, the old thing yeah. with, the, you know, men are from one planet and, yeah, and women yeah, from the other. Yeah. It's just, you know, everybody's trying to do the same thing. It's just you gotta go about it the the way that works best which may not be the way that the the patient wants and and i think in preparing patients when they come to the emergency department with a migraine exacerbation um to be ready for a lot of repetitive questions a lot of people are going to ask you know what is your pain scale yet right now on a scale of one to ten and we're not doing that because we want to be annoying we want to do that because we want to know how effective our interventions at treating the pain we're going to want to know about some of the patterns of headaches we're going to want to know about some of the other associated symptoms sometimes we're going to ask about other people in the household who else has symptoms um, and if this is a pattern headache if someone has migraine headaches or cluster headaches then our goal is going to be to try to get them feeling better. If this is the first time someone's had a headache, we're probably going to do some diagnostic tests. 
or if this is a headache that in a patient that gets a pattern of headaches, but this one's different. This one has a different characteristic or a different quality or a different severity. We might want to do some, some imaging or some blood tests um, to kind of distinguish, is this a migraine headache or is this something worse because you were out mountain biking three days ago and hit your head really hard? And is that something yeah. did that is that what caused a migraine exacerbation or is there something else going on? And, and we might investigate into that. So what kind of interventions do you typically offer somebody who, once you've established, okay, this person comes in, it's a migraine patient, they have migraine headaches uh, 17 days a month, and they usually can have them under control. This one is really, really bad. Um, and you're comfortable that they're not having sure, anything sure. worse. So, what can you offer them? Sure. And, and I think, you know, and I'm sure you've had, if you had a host on your show or you had a guest on your show who is a neurologist, they'd probably talk a, about, a lot about some of the... Coming in two weeks, but yes. Perfect. Okay. So, so that, you know, a little teaser for your, for your listeners. <laughs> right. You know, they'll talk about different uh, interventions that can help prevent migraine headaches or different interventions that can help uh, once that aura comes on and the patient knows that, okay, the migraine's coming, you know, there are certain medications that can help stop that right. process. We call them really abortive medications. Abortive medications, right. right? And when someone comes to the emergency department and they're already in the full-on, you know, they're, at, they're already at the peak level of pain for their migraine, then a lot of those early interventions we're not going to go to first because we've already missed the window to really implement some of those. So we're going to go with some of our non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, uh, which is a class of medications that include naproxen, ibuprofen. Sometimes we'll use ketorolac because it can be given in intravenous form or intramuscular form because a lot of people with migraine headaches, they know what medications they need to abort the migraine, but one of the symptoms they have is vomiting, so they can't keep those medications down. Yeah. So we're, we're, a lot of times we'll give IV fluids because it's been shown that dehydration is going to exacerbate the migraine, and if we can address the hydration standpoint, they're going to feel better. We're going to get a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory on board. We're going to get an anti-emetic or a nausea medication. And there's been a handful of nausea medications that have been shown in, in randomized controlled trials that they're more effective than others. And, you know, we in the, in the emergency department, like all physicians you have on your show, are going to always use the evidence and use the literature that this medication in the most recent research has been shown to be much better at aborting migraine headaches than this one. Um, so we're going to use an anti-nausea medication. We're going to use a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. Depending on how recurrent the headache is, we may reach for a steroid because there's an evolving um, uh, body of evidence that shows that it can help prevent a recurrence of headache. Um, and then we're going to give some, ideally give the patient a, a quiet space to let those medications begin to, to take effect. And one of the questions that I always come in and ask my patients is, you know, 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, how are you feeling? Does it feel like the, the medication is helping? And then I always also ask if, if you know that this is a migraine headache, if we're certain that this is a migraine headache and not something else, do you feel well enough to go home and sleep off the headache? Because we all kind of realize that if someone has a really bad migraine and it's already moving in the direction of recovery, 
would they be more comfortable in the quiet of their own home rather than the busy hustle bustle of the emergency department? Yeah. Yeah. And patients usually are very good at articulating, no, 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 I want to stay here a little longer because I might need a second dose of medication. Or, no, I, I feel like, you know, this is my fourth or fifth time being through this rodeo and I'm on the road to recovery and it'll go smoother um, at home listening to light jazz than listening to this guy next door who did too many methamphetamines tonight. Yeah, right. And that's <laughs> always the problem. But, you know, I think that also because of the nature of the the pain, I think uh, sometimes you also get patients who interpret that as, yeah, they tried to get rid of me. Mm-hmm. They kept on coming in and saying, are you, you know, are you feeling like mm-hmm. you can go home? Yeah. And that's not you know, again, it's just it can be a very uh, difficult yeah. Uh, yeah. misunderstanding. I think uh, you know, yeah. with, with because ideally, it. yeah, we want you to feel better and we want to get rid of you. We want you to go home and feel better. Yeah, well, uh, right. but sometimes the 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 uh, the diplomacy of delivering the message can be a little misinterpreted. Yeah. Well, so let me ask you: When do you think somebody? So most of the people who are listening have mm. chronic headaches, either yeah. occipital neuralgia. Or migraines or, um, you know, chronic daily headaches. Uh-huh. And there's, you know, a myriad of, of, of diagnoses. Somebody who has one of these conditions, when is it appropriate for them to come to the emergency room? And, and, and that's, a, that's a great question. Um, and w- when someone has, and, and, you know, we're talking about chronic headaches, but any type of chronic illness, whether we're talking about diabetes or high blood pressure, um, when is it appropriate to come to the emergency department? The, the patient is in the best position to know that. And we're, we'll, we're, we will always take the patient seriously. If you think you're having an emergency, then you should come to the emergency department and get checked out. Um, we're always happy to see you. Sometimes we're not going to be able to see you as quickly as you might like. Uh, and ER overcrowding, I mean, we're not going to get into the to the healthcare in the United States debate that's happening right now, access mm-hmm. to healthcare is a big hot topic. Emergency departments are available resource. They will not turn anyone away. Um, but because of that, sometimes there's overcrowding and sometimes there is a bit of a wait. But if you come to an emergency department anywhere in the United States, you will be seen and we will we will ask you questions, we'll do a history, we'll do an exam, we'll do appropriate diagnostic testing. Um, and we'll try to get you feeling better. Um, so that you, the, the important thing for someone who has chronic pain, though, and, and, and chronic pain is a really, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's tough. It's hard for everyone involved. It is very tough. It is very tough. And, and the reality is, is when someone has chronic pain, they really need an interdisciplinary approach. And they need a whole um, diversity of, of, of specialists sitting around the table to be involved in their care. If someone has chronic headaches and chronic pain, and their daily life is living with pain at a really high level, then they probably already have a neurologist and a primary care physician and a pain specialist. Maybe they have um, um, a a psychotherapist. Maybe they have a a, a surgeon who's doing nerve decompressions. And there's so many different components of it. One of the things that we don't do well in the emergency department is we don't manage chronic pain. We are in the business of emergency resuscitation, but managing chronic pain is something that we are not equipped to do because it requires that interdisciplinary long-term approach. So when someone has chronic pain and they show up to the emergency department and they're suffering from their chronic condition, I mean, my heart goes out to those patients and I will always look for an emergency and I will always address an emergency. 
But when someone lives at a chronic pain level of 8 out of 10 in severity, and that's every day they live at that chronic pain level, which is a really tough way to live, and they're coming into my emergency department with a pain level of 9 out of 10, then I'm going to say, what are our goals and expectations? Are we worried that this is something else, or do we know that this is the recurrent headache? And what can we do as part of the interdisciplinary team to address this chronic condition? A lot of patients will come to the emergency department on weekends in the middle of the night, and they'll say, you know, I live at a, pay, at a level of 8 out of 10 in severity. I, I can't take it anymore. I want the pain gone. And I will look at them and I will feel for them and I'll say, I, that is, that's an expectation that I probably will not be able to meet tonight in the emergency department. Uh, which do you is, actually refer? Do you, like, do you ever tell patients, you know, say, hey, do you have a neurologist? You should go see X, Y, or Z. Or do you, I mean, do most of these patients actually have uh, you know the proper doctors plugged in or yeah and this is this is going to be very specific to the geography of of your listeners i mean access to care access to primary care access to specialty care is such a big you know you were just saying hey this is a 40 minute podcast let's try to keep the conversation under three hours yeah like you want to start talking about you want to start talking about someone comes to the emergency department because they don't have any other options and we're the only place we're the only place that they have left and then they're saying okay I need a neurologist a pain specialist a primary care physician a psychotherapist a plastic surgeon it's two o'clock in the morning on on Father's Day weekend what can you do for me I can say, well, you know, we can we can treat your symptoms. You know, we can make sure that there's not something life threatening and not emergent, and we can work on referrals. But our ability to get people access to care is going to be very dependent on where they live geographically, what sure. their insurance status is, what some of the resources that they have available in their local community. Well, so if somebody comes in, you know, this is uh, when when we used to do, you know, come in to sew up things in the emergency room as, as young plastic surgeons, and you would have... You're always invited to again, come into our emergency department, you know, so... Thank you so much, sir. Open invitation. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we... we uh, I have been in situations where we have had celebrities call, mm-hmm. and they want Dr. Lowenstein to come in, and, mm-hmm. you know, just because of, of where we are. Um, and so, you know, they have certain expectations. Mm-hmm. Somebody comes in with a headache and expects you to give an MRI. Mm-hmm. What and they say I need an MRI. What What do you do? Like you can't get everybody MRIs. Correct. I mean, can you? You know, it, addressing expectations is one of the tougher parts of the job. And for me personally, and I think I speak on behalf of most emergency physicians, we always try to do our due diligence to give the appropriate medication and to 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 mitigate any of the expectations that are there. I mean, MRI, uh, magnetic resonance imaging, is a really useful tool, and in the right setting, it's important. You know, when someone comes in with a migraine headache and they have neurologic deficits, and we have a question, is this a migraine headache with neurologic manifestations, or is this a stroke? We're gonna get that MRI, because a stroke is something that, you know, that we wanna make sure that there's interventions that we can get those neurologic uh, deficits back to baseline. Um, when someone um, is having a headache, an MRI is not necessarily the first go-to test that we are 
going to going to use. Um, and sometimes a lot of our patients are going to look things up on Google. They're going to call a friend who has some medical expertise. Maybe they saw a television show. Um, and they're going to come in with certain expectations and certain requests. And we'll, we'll always listen to them. Um, but in reality, at the end of the day, our goal is to provide the, the best evidence-supported standard of care. Um, and if an MRI is part of that, we will certainly move in the direction of getting that test for them. If an MRI is not part of that, you know, ideally we're going to communicate like, you know, I, 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 I hear you, but this is not the test that we need. Um, for you at this time, at this at time, the, right? And at so, this time. and you know, I, I can speak to that as well, especially like on Facebook and things like mm-hmm. that. A lot of uh, a lot of the questions that I see are, you know, somebody just put me on a beta, beta blocker. How? Who's been on this and has it mm-hmm. worked for you? Yeah. Well, just because another person mm-hmm. has had experience X, Y, or Z with this beta blocker. It really has nothing to do with how this beta blocker is going mm-hmm. to affect you, and so and you know as a as my I try to work this into every podcast. The things you hear is here as well. Um, you know we are not giving specific medical advice to any individual. So based on if you hear things on our podcast, there are things to run by your personal physician, your medical doctor, um, but uh, do not take. Uh, any of what we say as a directed advice because we, we speak in generalities. Mm-hmm. And migraine disease is a very specific disease. People experience pain differently, people experience symptoms differently, and people experience remedies very differently. And so, um, you know, I, I, I do think that can be a, a difficult, a, another difficult aspect of chronic pain. Which leads me to, let's see, we are uh, half an hour into this. So I'm going to, let's try and cover a, um, let's say a four-day debate mm-hmm. uh, in 10 minutes. Okay. So the big thing that I hear a lot mm-hmm. is I just wanted, you know, the, the, the I went to the doctor. They thought I was drug-seeking. They thought mm-hmm. they wouldn't give me any narcotics because they thought I was mm-hmm. trying to, get narcotics and I they can't tell how severe my pain is mm-hmm. because they can't yeah. see yeah. anything yeah. you know uh, migraine and sure, chronic sure. headache and severe pain do not manifest as things that you can actually see on a test yeah so yeah. you want to address the opiates yeah the opiate yeah, and, issue and, and, and I think minutes? it's always tough. Well it's, it, well, it's always tough with pain because when we think about pain and you know what is what is pain, it's a it's a subjective perception of a noxious stimulus. So the only way I know how much pain you're in is to ask you, hey Adam, how much pain are you in right now? Um, because there, it's not like a broken bone where we can't get an X-ray and say, oh, this is clearly a nine out of ten pain because it, it's very personal um, and, and it's and it's very subjective. Um, O- opiates. And I, I don't like using the word narcotics. I'm a public health person because narcotics has mm. a has a criminal justice um, connotation, and we're talking about health. So, so opiates is a class of medications that acts on the opiate receptors, and it includes uh, morphine, uh, heroin, fentanyl, um, dilaudid or hydromorphone, codeine, some of the newer synthetics, carfentanil and sufentanil, um, Percocet. Yeah, oxycodone, yeah, the, which is the, a Percocet, the more common. Yeah, yeah, and and it, you know, opiates are valuable in addressing acute pain. 
um, the United States has experienced a drop in its life expectancy for the third year in a row. And most of that is attributed to the current opiate epidemic. And I don't know if you have listeners who are uh, in, in Ohio, in the Midwest, in the South. Um, the opiate epidemic has really had an extraordinarily tragic impact on communities where, um, you know, we can talk if we wanted to make this a four day debate, we could talk about the history of it and the role that we in healthcare had to play in getting people addicted to, to pain medication. Yeah. Uh, opiates are really valuable in acute pain. When you break your arm and I need to treat that pain before we set it and get that pain under control for two days. Opiates are a really valuable tool for us to have. Um, when the chronic pain is the problem in and of itself, and it's not because of an acute injury, then opiates can become part of the problem and can create more problems downstream. And ideally, you know, we in medicine, as much as we want to make the person in front of us feel pain-free, we don't want to increase the risk of addiction we don't want to increase the risk of overdose. We don't want to cause some, many of the other long-term complications that using opiates for chronic pain can contribute to. And there's always these risk benefits that, that go on. And it, when someone has a migraine headache, and you know, you're going to have a neurologist on your, on your program in a couple of weeks, and he's a great question to ask. Uh, him or her, uh, when someone comes in with an exacerbation of migraine headache, you know, we're going to reach for some of these non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like ketorolac or some of these anti-emetics like, like Compazine or, or Reglan to really get the symptoms under control. Opiates, as good as they are at getting the pain under control in the short term, they don't necessarily improve health. Um, and though a lot of people on, on these blogs that you're talking about may leave our emergency departments uh, unsatisfied, they may be irritated, they may feel like they weren't listened to, and, and for that I really apologize because we, we do listen to all of our patients. We, we want to be sure and we want to be safe and we want to be conscientious that we're not temporarily solving one problem, which is the problem of pain, right there at that moment and create a potential problem or add to a potential problem that's more lethal downstream. And I'll tell you, when I take off my ER doc hat and put on my medical director for the fire department hat, you know, and Dr. Ruskowski is literally grabbing a <laughs> imaginary hat and that was awesome. But okay, I we're, you know, we're using public health harm reduction strategies now in our community because more and more people are overdosing and a lot of times it's accidental because they have chronic pain and they're trying to get their pain under control and they're accidentally overdosing. And if your listeners are living in the United States, then statistically speaking, most of them have had a family member, a friend or a colleague from work who has been very impacted by the current opiate epidemic. And it's, it's something that we, we talk about um, you know, as a public health person, I talk about quite openly and quite transparently that when someone comes into the emergency department and says, I know what I'm having, I, you know, it's my menstrual period, I usually get migraine headaches around the time of my menstrual period, I was up late last night studying and now I have a migraine, it feels like my previous migraines, but this one's really severe, the only thing that works for me is opiates. I'm going to say, you know what, 
let's try some other things first because I care about you and I care about your health. And I know that these other interventions, according to the science, have been shown to be quite effective. So let's, let's see if these work first before we go to some of these more dangerous remedies, which may do a great job at getting you feeling better right now, but they all in all might increase your risk of dying of an overdose in the long term. And I care about you and I don't want you to be yeah, put at risk. That's tough because I mean, a lot of people say that, you know, yeah. it's not going to happen to me and you'd be surprised. Yeah. I, I had a patient here the other day and uh, I was talking to uh, mother and daughter, uh, little daughter. Uh, I was talking to mother and little daughter was in the room and we were talking about narcotics. And, you know, I give narcotics for a very short period of time mm-hmm. after surgery. And, um, you know, and I explain I, I do that on purpose, and I'd rather you in a little bit or a moderate amount of pain than have to deal with the bad stuff mm-hmm. that narcotics. And she said, and 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 the little girl looked up at her mom, and she said, and, and he and the mom said to the daughter, "You remember kind of like how Daddy ended up having to go away for a while in the hospital, mm-hmm. and you know what had happened? He mm-hmm. had back surgery, mm-hmm. and he and again, this guy's a a, a stand up guy." Yeah. And he ended up needing to, to, to be in rehab. And, you know, I've actually I have another migraine surgery patient that was uh, he was one of the most remarkable guys. He was on fentanyl patches that would kill, mm-hmm. I swear, an elephant. Mm-hmm. And um, I operated on him and he went from a pain of nine out of ten mm-hmm. on a daily basis to zero. Mm-hmm. He had no pain. And I called him three weeks later just to check up on him. How are you doing? He didn't answer the phone. I was a little worried. He got back to me like three days later and said, I'm sorry I didn't answer the phone. I have been in bed with the shakes mm-hmm. trying to get off of my mm-hmm. narcotics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you have nine out of ten pain and that's not your biggest problem, mm-hmm. that's a yeah. – it's a disaster. And, 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 you know, I think, you know, the – the, the opiate epidemic that we're experiencing is 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 still ratcheting up and and it's it has i mean statistically speaking all of your listeners have been impacted by this very close to home in some way, yeah. way shape or form I and mean, that's that's the reality isn't opiates of the like the number something very high um, cause of death in a certain um yeah. In like from and we're, we're, 20 to 40. It's we're like starting that. to get a better idea at measuring it because it used to be like 20, 30 years ago, you know, and I, if I told you as a public health person, what does an opiate addict look like? You'd talk about someone who is behind a dumpster shooting up heroin. But now the average opiate, uh, the, the average person who's, who's, who's grappling with an addiction to opiates is probably someone who's working, who's high functioning, who started out with some kind of pain, started taking these medications, needed to continue to take the medications, developed a dependency, and the whole rewiring of the brain and the way we perceive pain is is altered by these opiates. So once you start taking them away, people are super hypersensitive to pain. They go through really horrible withdrawal symptoms. And the reality is, is that the, you know this is out there and good medicine, I always tell you this, good medicine is knowing the right tool for the right job. There's no one tool that fixes everything. Right, if anyone right. ever tries to sell you that, they're a snake oil salesman. Yeah. Good medicine is saying, you have chronic headaches. What's going to work for you? Maybe it'll be 
you know, your nerve decompression surgery. Maybe it will be cognitive behavioral stimulation. Maybe it will be, you know, fill in the blanks. Yeah. Um, opiates are very good at treating short-term pain. And that's what we use them for in the emergency department. But when someone has chronic pain, they create more problems than they solve. And it's, it always puts us in, in, the, in the emergency department in a really tough position when a patient comes in with a chronic pain condition with the expectation of wanting opiates to treat their pain because we're, we're, we, you know, me as a physician, I'm very conflicted because I want you to feel better, but I also want you to be healthy. And me giving you opiates, that kind of contradicts, that yeah. kind of conflicts. And it's, it's tough. So when, you know, when, when your listeners come to the emergency department you know, with a headache, and we've determined that this is an exacerbation of their migraine headache. We will certainly treat them compassionately uh, with the, the, the best practice in mind and know that nowhere in the scientific research and literature are opiates included in that best practice um, for a variety of reasons. It's because, you know, we, we see a lot of opiate overdoses as well. And that is so tragic. And it happens, like you said, like you said to young, healthy people who a lot of times are trying to treat their pain, but they, they try a little too hard and it ends up, you know, with a really tragic outcome. Yeah, I know. But unfortunately, when your head is exploding, yeah. you kind of, you can lose perspective. Absolutely. And I can understand both sides of this. And, you know, actually my one of my goals in having you on and talking yeah. about this <laughs> is that our listeners, I hope, can start to understand both sides mm -hmm. of it because there is certainly yeah. there's there's perspective from from both sides sure, and sure. so i think everybody's trying to do the right thing yeah um it can be hard to see and from, we meet we need more dialogues like know. this i mean that's the and it, it what i think one of the frustrating things for patients who are coming into the emergency department where all of their abortive remedies have already failed. I mean, if they're in the if they're in the emergency department, then whatever it is they tried didn't work because they're yeah. they're in our ER. And you know that this, it's not the ideal time to have a philosophical conversation yeah, right, yeah. about goals. They're like, my head is about to explode. I want it to stop. So, um, but but these you know, hopefully you know, if your your listeners are listening to this podcast while their migraine headaches are reasonably well controlled, um, and and know that this is a lot of the dialogue that's going on. Well, let's use that as a segue to uh, please listen to our podcasts. Um, I really, really, really appreciate your involvement, Jason, and um, you know you're you're a you're a, a gem of a doctor to have in our community. I, I, I wish everybody had had uh, access to to people, one of the truly most altruistic physicians I've ever known. Um, so thank you. And uh, to our listeners, please do subscribe. There's a button somewhere that says subscribe. And uh, please do uh, leave feedback and, uh, you know, give us, give us uh, a rating and a review. And uh, we certainly appreciate and I will continue to listen. We've got um, uh, our email at questions at headachesurgery.com. If you have comments or questions that you want to directly uh, have addressed on further episodes, I would love to hear from you all. And uh, we will uh, look forward to uh, talking to you again soon. Again, Jason, thank you very much. Hey, thanks, Adam.